Hello world, I'm your host Max Patton and this is Dreaming Polygons, the podcast where we explore the game's mystery and where it's headed by interviewing the voices and perspectives shaping its future, one polygon at a time. Today we have Holly Buckets on, who is a polymath of a developer and in addition to being an indie games developer herself, works for the popular game engine company Unity, teaching other developers how to use new features in their software. She balances all of this while having a family as well. But before we go any further, I'll let her introduce herself. Hello, my name is Holly Figueroa. I am a developer advocate software test engineer at Unity Technologies, and I'm also co-founder and developer at Knifi Games, which is an indie studio my husband and I own. We asked all of our guests this first question, and in your case, I want to know what attracted you to video games, and what was the moment that you started realizing that you could be involved in the process of developing them? Yeah, so um, my first attraction to video games is uh, probably similar to most others. Um, I played games as a kid. I love arcade cabinet games. Um, Galaga is one of my favorite games. I can play that for hours and hours. My mom is ridiculously good um, at at Galaga. She will like own you. <laughs> um, I really think that if she were a little more extroverted, and if her community growing up had a community, a gaming community, she definitely like could have gone pro. <laughs> wow. She's very she's very good. Um, even she's like, it's like, oh, I haven't played in like years. And she picks it up and she still gets like top score on like whatever, you know, let's, let's say we see it in like in a bar or something. She still gets like top score. So that's scary. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like she's insane. So this like kind of idea of you work hard and you get to play hard has always been a concept in my reality. And one of those ways was through not only video games, but board games as well. How I got into video games as a means of something that I could help create is actually a little bit of a different story than most, maybe. Um, I was a grad student and I lost my project funding. So my background is in shark biology um, and I was going to school for uh, my PhD to study the gut microbiota of tilapia. I lost my project funding and was suddenly both unemployed and unsure of what to do next. So I had two opportunities presented to me. I could start a mouse colony project, which after doing sharks and tilapia did not sound super interesting, or I could, have, I could take a year off figure out what I wanted to do, maybe reapply to a different program or reapply to different funding. Um, that, was, that was totally something that was an option to me. I decided on the later and I had art, my husband and I had already founded the Knifi Games studio. He was the one doing all the development and I was running like the small business side of things. So an indie studio is still small business. There's still like all the account management, PR, marketing, all that jazz um, and I was learning from as many people as I could on how to run a small business successfully. So before you even stopped doing biology, you were already kind of getting experienced making games? Not so much making games, but making a games business, if that makes sense. My husband was like involved in it and I was trying to be like supportive. I was going to our local IGDA chapter, which was in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis, St. Paul. There's a Twin Cities IGDA meetup. It was small and it was like an awesome community. 
they knew that I was kind of just there to support like my significant other who like was just my boyfriend at the time and were still super open and welcoming and I would still ask questions because it's like interesting right like this this stuff is interesting and so I'd, I'd ask questions and they treated me like anybody else I was never a second-rate citizen I feel like I have a Cinderella story in that sense and that I've always had the best experiences with the indie community when this decision came to like what should I do our game also needed another programmer so I was like, yeah, well, sure. Like I'm, I'm not working 80 hours a week as a grad student. So I had a part-time job to like help contribute to our living situation. And the other part-time was spent learning Unity and C-sharp. So I had basically no programming experience before that. And I relied heavily on the community of developers and like the Unity documentation. Um, and my, my very first C-sharp script is still on Steam. Like it, it's on Steam in a game, which I am oh, nice. both, <laughs> I am both like proud and extremely embarrassed by at the same time. Which game is that? <laughs> it's, um, it's Imagine Me is the name of the game. And it's a classic first game. So we did early access on Steam, like way back when, when Steam was like, yay early access and then they were like well like let's maybe backpedal early access a little bit so that's kind of the environment that we released the game into and it was over ambitious like every first game is it was a 2d dungeon platformer with procedural generation <laughs> and unity had just released their brand new 2d tools and we were like yeah let's use a hundred percent unity 2d and as any brand new product is, it's full of hiccups and hurdles. It was a wonderful learning experience. <laughs> Not one that I probably want to do over again. I feel like I've learned, learned my lessons and, and applied them to the next thing. I don't need to relearn the same lessons. Yeah, that's quite a career shift. <laughs> right, right. So uh, it was fun, though, because the people that were there, the people that are in the indie community, the developers and even the the game, the gamers that love indie games are this small, tight-knit community that are extremely passionate about what they're doing, and that was incredibly contagious. So to be dumped into this environment where I get to learn as much as I want, which I love learning, and then to be surrounded by these people that are incredibly passionate about what they're doing, it's not like us against them, it's like together we are better. Um, we learn from each other and we stand on each other's shoulders to propel each other forward. And I could not help but want to be more of that community. That's great. And I think a lot of people, maybe most people listening to this will know what Unity is, but just in case people don't, could you explain that at a quick, like high level? Sure. Yeah. The Unity engine is a content creation suite put out by Unity Technologies. Historically, it is a game engine. Historically, it's a 3D game engine and has since evolved into an entire suite of content creation tools. So it's used in movie business and architecture, automotive, you know, still 2D games, 3D games, you name it, um, museum installations, art installations. Content creation suite is the, probably the best way to describe it now. Mm -hmm. So it kind of started out as a game engine, but now it's used in a lot of industries. And how did you start getting involved with Unity? 
I started getting involved with Unity as a new leaf on the wind that knew absolutely nothing. Because I knew nothing, and before Slack existed, Twitter is still the Slack for indie devs. So you had a question on something and you would just tweet it out to the void. And it turns out the void wasn't a void, it was an entire community of developers. And Unity as a company was much smaller five, seven years ago. And so the, the developers who were writing the code that is Unity today were the ones answering my tweets. They were the ones responding to the answers to my questions of, but yeah, but how do you do this? And so as that relationship fed and as they were asking me, I was asking more and more questions, they started to become like my online friends. Like these people watched me grow as a developer into something that I had more than one game released and and that I could start doing tutorials myself and teaching other people about what I had learned and how I had learned it. So we had gone through that thing. My my husband ended up taking a job at Unity Technologies first. Um, he joined the Xbox team when it was in just outside of Boston, Massachusetts. And so we moved from Minneapolis to Boston. And at that time, I was still full indie, but I was starting to do more and more Unity community outreach. The Unity community in the Boston area is awesome. They are some of the best people out there. They are extremely collaborative and have this passion for learning that is contagious. And so that continued to rub off on me and further my, my want to extend that outside my local community and reach the people on like via Twitter and YouTube and, you know, Google Plus, whatever it was, with the same resources that I had locally because I had been that individual that didn't have a ton of resources locally and how useful that online content had been. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, as our stay at Boston was coming to a close, Unity relocated the Boston office to Seattle. And about that time, Unity reached out to me and said, hey, by the way, we don't have anybody in the Americas that's a community manager. And on top of it, we are looking for a technical community manager. So I said, I know you're moving to the Seattle area. Is that something that you would like to pursue? So I said I was interested for sure. Um, and so I started working on contract as a technical community manager at Unity and did that for six months. During that six months, Unity versions 5.2 and 5.3 were released. And they were, for all intents and purposes, not the greatest products to be released. So I spent a lot of time interfacing with my colleagues, uh, my indie colleagues and other Unity users on all these issues that they were facing that were delaying their own projects and were extreme pain points for them. And having that kind of empathy and community experience that I had had coming in, that was incredibly hard for me. It was hard for me to be this middleman of like, hey, by the way, this is a huge sore spot for our users. It's causing them to be delayed. And then the devs being like, yes, but we can't fix it all fast enough. And this back and forth. Um, and so when it came time for my contract to be renewed, I said, actually, what I would love to do is I'd like to be part of the solution and not just this relay messenger back and forth. So I said, I would love to be QA. 
And so I, I switched to QA um, and I did that for a year and a half before I said, this is great, um, but I think I want to do more than just basic QA. And so I moved from Seattle to San Francisco and became a developer advocate testing workflows. So now I still test Unity, so I'm still technically in the QA org, but my role is now to advocate for the developers that are using our products um, and that workflow to kind of like ease the pain of using a system or if we make a change to a system that it doesn't add a friction that wasn't there before or if it adds a friction, it adds a value someplace else. And then on top of it, I advocate internally for like or advocate back out at uh, Unity Analytics products to the Unity community. So when you were using Unity yourself outside of it as a developer, I imagine it was a lot simpler than it is now. As a developer, I was brand new to it. So at no point in time did it seem simpler. <laughs> but, but like it's it's more ambitious now, like even more people are using it. Like so and obviously you have this developer advocate role now. Yeah. Why why is that important? Why are you reaching out to developers? Like what are you trying to teach them in general? Yeah, I guess that is a good point. There is a lot I always say that Unity, opening Unity for the first time is like opening Photoshop for the first time. You have no idea what the buttons do. On top of it, you can use Photoshop for like three years and never touch this whole like video editing side of, you know, Photoshop or, or whatever it is that you're doing. There are definitely Photoshop specialities that you may never see. That's the same thing with Unity. There are parts of Unity that you may never touch unless somebody calls attention to. There are new things that we're doing and hard problems that we're trying to solve, not because nobody else is trying to solve those problems, but because you're already in Unity. Like, why don't I just lower that friction and make it so you can stay in Unity and do that same thing? So it's kind of more drawing awareness to developers about new products in Unity or changes to project products in Unity. It's more to help drive awareness and an understanding of what the product does. On top of it, you can understand a product, you can understand that you need it, but you don't have necessarily the time in your day-to-day -to, -day to dive deep and, and really figure out the exact applications. Yeah, that's super cool, Unity Analytics. Yeah, I know that we probably need analytics on our users. That's great. Until I get up there and give like a, a mini talk and say, by the way, it's one line of code and we have standard events, so you don't even have to think about what events should I create. I already have a list of events that you, it's pretty game start, cool. I know I can plug that analytics line into my game start script and it's one additional line of code. Like those kind of things that you may or may not know, even though you're aware of the product and understand what it does. That's kind of where the developer advocate role comes in. Reaching back out is really just lowering that bar of entry and the friction to adopting these products. Yeah. And you also primarily work with independent developers or smaller developers. What attracts you to that? Why do you think that's like an interesting space right now for games? That's a great question. I think that the indie space is always changing and always new. The same people that are doing amazing things are never satisfied with continuing to do the same thing. They're always kind of like pushing what they know and what they're learning a little bit further. And that may be something completely different than what somebody else is learning and pushing. 
And so there's, again, that really collaborative experience of everybody's pushing each other to be better. And the more we can feed back into each other, the more we grow together. And I, I just love that space. I love that concept and those ideas of somebody may be struggling with the exact same thing that I am, or they struggled with it a month ago and they basically went through that fire for me and can give me some like tips on how to avoid the the same pain that they went through. That's really cool. That's something unique to this industry and something that I continue to value. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the great benefits of both the internet, but also a platform like Unity, which is so widely used and so adaptable is that you'll have all these online tutorials, whether you know, official or created by you or just created by other users who have been through that situation. People say like, for example, YouTube, right? Like YouTube is probably what you think of when you think streaming video, uh, because YouTube is so big and it's so widely used that they basically run into every problem and most content creators use that. And when it comes to game engines, Unity is basically the equivalent because Unity is so big, there's so many people using it and people run into basically every problem with it, I imagine. So that's probably Same, yeah. That's Definitely. probably gonna be pretty awesome for like testing, I imagine. Yeah, testing is a almost a completely different field um, in terms of like testing your game and what to do, um, and in terms of testing Unity and what to do. Um, mm -hmm. One of the things that's uh, the Achilles heel, I would say, of testing Unity is that it's an amazing benefit that there are a million ways that you can do something and you can find the right way that works for your pipeline and your work style. Um, the, the bummer side of it is that that means that like I have to test all the workflows and there might be one that we as Unity developers prefer Unity users to use, but that doesn't always fall in line with what is actually the path that users are using or that users feel is the easiest for them. Um, so that's, that's where my user testing or user workflow testing comes in. I need to be able to identify what those paths are almost beforehand or retroactively, why aren't people using it the way we decided that they, or the way we thought they would use it? What are those other benefits that they see from working this way instead of that way? Um, or instead of the benefits, what are the hindrances of, of working that way? Maybe there's something that we put in there that's stupid and they're like, ah, oh, it's like, I just don't wanna deal with that part. So I go around this way because that part's a giant boulder in my path. That's great. That's amazing feedback and amazing to look back and say, okay, how can we either remove that boulder or if we can't remove the boulder, how can we add value to make the boulder seem worth it? Yeah, you have to go around this boulder, but the payoff on the other side makes it totally worth it. And it sounds like a really helpful and positive cycle of feedback that um, I think helps you make a better product in the end. Yeah. And more and more so as we go from one-on-one -on -one conversations to really getting kind of like a, a database decision, which is something that I want as a Unity de like game developer as well. So it's amazing how often that feedback loop is the same, whether I'm like 
create, whether I'm making Unity or whether I'm making a game, I still want the same feedback from my users, whether it's other developers or gamers. Um, so it's nice that there's, there is a, a huge overlap um, and, and something that I think of while I have one hat on usually directly applies to the other situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in any creative field, feedback is one of the most valuable things and underrated things that people can mm -hmm. have. And mentioning that, you know, that you make games as well, you're kind of a workaholic, but you're not just that. You also have a family and, of course, you have other responsibilities. So how do you balance that with the fast-paced and sometimes crunch-heavy games industry? Yeah, I'm actually, this is, this is something that I am bad at. I am so bad at maintaining a work-life balance, and I rely heavily on my partner to help me with that. He is so good at being like, hey, like you're getting really stressed about this. Before I had a baby, I didn't realize how much of a workaholic I was. I was really scared when I found out that I was having a baby, and I wasn't sure how my role in the industry would change or how the perception of my role would change. I was very scared. And it turns out instead of being a bad thing, it's been nothing but a good thing. <laughs> One, I found out that the community is still the same amazing community that I've always known. So why I, I thought anything less, I'm not sure. Um, just mindless fears. Um, but on top of it, this little human needed my full attention. So when I came home at the end of the day, she absolutely needed 100% of me. And that was something that I hadn't had before. And to be able to stop work and be almost forced to turn my, my work brain off and turn my mommy brain on was really positive. I had nothing but like good feelings and emotions, not only about getting the break that I had and spending that amazing quality time with my baby, but also when I went back to work the next day, it was almost like I was like, oh, that was a nice little break. Like now we can go back to work refreshed. And so I've been more mindful of it as she's gotten older and not necessarily needed me less, but uh, like she can take a bottle. She can like eat solid food. She has teeth, like those kinds of things where she's not like 100% dependent on me. It's been something that I've continued to keep in the forefront of my mind and also have chosen to have even more open conversations with my partner about like, how am I doing today? Did I do a good job of turning off or empowering him to be able to say like, hey, like, you gotta, you gotta stop. Like, I, I want your attention. Um, and being able to have that open conversation has been awesome. And I don't think I would have realized that had I not had a baby. <laughs> yeah, so it kind of forced you to draw that line and that's proven helpful. Yeah, it's been like the, a night and day difference into how I work. Instead of just flowing from one job into the next with no cutoff and no end in sight, it actually has like, this is a stopping point. And then, okay, we can start this one again. And now we have to stop, which is cool. I, I highly recommend that to any of the workaholics out there. Yeah, have a kid. Force yourself to take a break. Like absolutely <laughs> have something that takes your full attention that is not 
work. Yeah, that's definitely important. And another topic that we've talked about before in this show is diversity. And I want to get your perspective on it, if you don't mind, because the games industry faces a lot of criticism for being a not super diverse place. Based off your experience, how do you see that getting better or worse? Hmm. This is a difficult question to tackle for sure. It's a big I, one. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, I have been extremely lucky and maybe subconsciously I do it to myself. So I, I continually am surrounded by an amazing group of people that are diverse. I'm sure it's just because I like different perspectives that it, I just happen to find these pockets where there is extreme diversity, but I love surrounding myself with women who feel empowered, men who are respectful, people of color, so that like gender is a non-issue, like being able to support my trans friends and what they're doing and how amazing and successful they are. That is amazing. I I didn't ask permission, so I'm not going to call any names like specifically, but I met, I went to Indicade for the first time, like, I don't know, five years ago or whatever, Indicade West, and was, had just survived the launch of our first game and the Unity's 2D physics that had just came out and what a hurdle that was. And I saw this game and I was like, wow, this is amazing. What did you make it in? And she was like, oh, Unity. I was like, wow, did you, is it 3D physics? And she was like, oh no, like we bit the bullet and used the 2D physics. And we had this amazing connection and experience of like, oh my gosh, I thought it was just me. Like that I had struggled so hard with this because it was something I was learning that was brand new. And it turned out here was an experienced dev and she had had the exact same struggles. And she's been like, one of my heroes in the industry since then, just because we shared a similar struggle and I didn't feel so alone. So it's been wonderful. I know that it's not that way everywhere. I'm very much aware of that, but I have been insanely lucky to be surrounded by an amazing, diverse group of humans. That's awesome. Yeah. And looking towards the near future, another big question for yourself and for Unity, what do you see? Where, where do you see trends going? What do you see happening in, say, the next five years? My job specifically, I can say that if I have my way, I will be more and more data driven. I hate that I make decisions or like design work workflow designs. I try to get as much customer feedback as possible. But Unity has like a million monthly active users. There's no way I can actually like be the voice of all those people and all their different use case scenarios. Um, so I'd, I, if I had my way and in five years, my job would basically be eradicated because we have the data to make smart choices based upon the feedback that our community has given us with real data, not just like a small subset of those users or a small vocal subset of those users but truly being data-driven in how we design the product to meet people's needs. You're always going to have, um, like, data always has to be balanced by common sense, right? If we're going to reach a new group of people, there's going to be no data there, but we still need to consider their needs. So there's almost like a value that has to be added to each data set. What are our decisions going forward? That's what I would like to see 
the most going forward is that I am I have worked myself out of a job by converting this to being data driven. Mm-hmm. I mean, eventually we're all not going to have jobs, probably <laughs> data and machines, but yeah. yeah. But uh, maybe you can be on the forefront of that. Right, forefront of that. Work myself out of a job and go sit on the beach in Hawaii. Sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, um, thank you again so much for coming on. And before we go, where can people find out about you and the work you do? Sure. The best place to find out what shenanigans we're up to is Twitter. You can follow me at Holly Buckets, H-O-L-L-I-E-B-U-C-K-E-T-S. On Twitter, um, the games company is at Kanifi Games, K-I-N-I-F-I-G-A-M-E-S. And um, if you are at PAX East, please come and visit us. We have the Figs and Co. booth, which is a shared booth. This year we have nine different games that will be hosted um, at the Figs and Co. booth. And we are part of the Pinny Arcade. So if you're into those enamel pins from PAX, stop by and grab ours. Awesome. And so, yeah, and don't worry if you didn't catch any of the links or anything. We'll link those in the description as well. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, yeah, it's been my pleasure. It's been an honor having you on. And it's great to have someone from a, I guess, more AAA or big company perspective. We had a lot of indie (laughs) devs on, but it's nice to have someone who works at a different level and get that perspective as well. So thank you. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. That's it for now. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, feel free to review us on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. Any feedback you want to give us is also much appreciated. You can subscribe to us in basically every podcast app and, of course, on YouTube if you prefer that. Our Twitter is at PolygonsFM. Everything will be linked in the description in case you didn't catch it. Our theme music is composed by the talented Fred Buchanan. Thank you so much for listening to the end of our eighth episode, and I will see you with a new guest next week. Until then, goodbye, world.